1: Thanks for tuning in and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine,
2: the nation's longest running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show.
1: Out front and out loud since 1974.
2: I'm Wenzel Jones. And
1: I'm Abby Dees. Tonight, we will talk live in studio with Aaron Fox, the Director of Government Relations at the Los Angeles LGBT Center, about the impact of Trump care, if the House bill is passed by the Senate, on the LGBT community.
2: And since the AIDS lifecycle ride is kicking off in less than a month, we'll get into the IMRU Gayback Machine to take you back to its 2001 incarnation.
1: Plus, actress Patricia Velasquez will join us for a chat about her life and her new film, Guys Reading Poems.
2: But first, the national and international news from This Way Out.
3: I'm Frances O'Brien.
2: And I'm Wendell Jones.
3: With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending May 6, 2017. There was some relatively hopeful news this week about the horrifying attempt by officials in the mostly Muslim Russian region of Chechnya to exterminate gay and bisexual men or those perceived to be. At last count, more than 300 men had been rounded up and placed in one of at least six gay concentration camps, where they're beaten, starved, and shocked in homemade electric chairs until they provide the names of all their gay friends. Chechen leader Ramzan Kadyrov has boasted to reporters that the region will be free of homosexuals before Ramadan begins at the end of May. The independent Russian newspaper Novaya Gazeta, which first broke the story, reports that at least 30 men have now died, some during torture and others at the hands of their own families. Chechen police are telling Muslim families with gay children to murder them before the authorities do it for them. Honor killings by relatives of those who shame their families are not uncommon.
2: Svetlana Zakharova is with the Russian LGBT Network. She assessed the situation during a recent interview on the Turkish radio and television corporation program TRT World.
4: Russia is a homophobic country, but we have never seen such a level of violence. We have never heard about such a massive campaign about any group of people in the modern Russia. So what's going on in Chechnya right now is just unprecedented.
2: Chechnya is a mostly autonomous region of Russia with its own government and court system, but it's still part of the Russian Federation. President Vladimir Putin had dismissed the allegations about what the government of his good friend, Ramzan Kadyrov, was doing. But there was word late this week that Putin has finally agreed to an official investigation into what he called the well-known information or rumors about what is happening to men in Chechnya with a non-traditional sexual orientation. The announcement came soon after German Chancellor Angela Merkel reportedly confronted Putin on the issue during a rare visit to Moscow earlier this week. Once again, Svetlana Zakharova
4: first two weeks, the federal authorities were absolutely silent about this situation and they didn't talk about that despite all the international pressure, They kind of pretended that it's not happening right now in Russia. But now they started to do something and at first the prosecutor's office of Chechnya stated that they are going to open the investigation and then we have information that the Federal Investigative Committee started to do something. So there is still hope that like, all the responsible like, sides will be punished. It's not just about discrimination of homosexual people, it's about people being tortured and killed.
2: It remains to be seen whether this is nothing more than an attempt to pacify overwhelming world criticism or if genuine efforts will be made to stop Chechnya's anti-gay genocide.
3: In another of the world's homophobic hotspots, Indonesia, as many as 14 men were arrested on April 30th during raids of parties in two hotel rooms in Surabaya, the nation's second largest city. Authorities told reporters that some of the men were watching gay porn and performing deviant sexual acts. Same-gender sex is not illegal in predominantly Muslim Indonesia, so gay men are prosecuted under strict anti-pornography laws. Most people in Indonesia practice a moderate form of Islam, but the semi-autonomous province of Aceh is governed by Sharia, a strict legal interpretation of the Quran. Men caught having sex there can be punished with up to 100 lashes in the public square. According to local reports about that Surabaya hotel raid, police confiscated condoms, mobile phones and a flash drive with allegedly pornographic videos. All the men were forced to take HIV tests, a practice that several human rights groups have condemned. Each of them faces up to 15 years in prison. Hardline Muslim lawmakers are pushing to specifically outlaw gay sex in revisions to the criminal code now being discussed in Indonesia's House of Representatives.
2: In better news for LGBTQ people, civil marriage equality has finally come to Bermuda. Supreme Court Judge Charles Etta Simmons issued a ruling on May 5th that native Bermudan Winston Godwin and his Canadian fiancée Greg DeRoche have the right to marry in Bermuda under the British Overseas Territories Human Rights Act. On the facts, she wrote, The applicants were discriminated against on the basis of their sexual orientation when the registrar refused to process their notice of intended marriage. The government argued that under Section 33 of the Marriage Act 1944, it's been an offense for the registrar to authorize a marriage knowing that it was not legal. But Simmons stated flatly that same-sex couples are entitled to be married under the Marriage Act. Local church groups, reportedly assisted by right-wing evangelicals from the U.S., pushed for a referendum on marriage equality soon after the godwin duroche lawsuit became news. Bermudans opposed marriage equality by what was fortunately a non-binding two-to-one margin last June. Godwin told Bermuda's Royal Gazette newspaper this week that it had been a long road to get to this stage for me and Greg, but that the ruling is a big step in the right direction.
3: All eyes in France and around the world have been on the country's May 7th presidential runoff election, pitting centrist Emmanuel Macron against far-right Marine Le Pen. It may have gone unnoticed that the nation's top appeals court on May 4th rejected the effort of an anonymous 66-year-old psychotherapist to be identified on government documents as gender-neutral. In its ruling, the court stated that the duality of gender as a civil status was necessary to the social and legal organization of which it is a cornerstone, and that the recognition of a neutral gender would have deep repercussions on French law and would require numerous legislative changes. The appellant, who identifies as intersex, was born with an indeterminate gender but was labeled male on their birth certificate. A court in Germany also rejected the creation of a third sex category last year. Alternatives to male or female on official documents, third gender or gender X, are currently only available to the citizens of India, Australia, New Zealand and Nepal.
2: But the U.S. Supreme Court refused to hear a challenge this week to a California law that bans therapists from trying to change the sexual orientation of LGBTQ patients under the age of 18. Such so-called reparative or pray-the-gay-away therapy has been denounced by every reputable mental health organization in the Western world as useless at best and psychologically damaging in many cases. The law applies to licensed doctors, psychologists, family therapists, and social workers. Violators can be disciplined by state licensing boards. The ban was challenged by licensed therapist and minister Donald Welch, who said it violates his religious rights. California officials urged the high court not to hear the appeal arguing that the law only affects state license therapy sessions. It does allow license providers to refer minors to religious leaders. A handful of other U.S. states also ban so-called conversion therapy for minors. Democrats have introduced a bill to outlaw the practice nationwide, but it has little chance of passage in the Republican-controlled Congress.
3: In this week's Queer News from Trumplandia, the U.S. president's second nominee for secretary of the Army has bowed out even before Senate confirmation hearings could be scheduled. At around the time that the Pentagon was opening military service to transgender enlistees, Republican Tennessee State Senator Mark Green said at a town hall meeting that being transgender is a disease and also made anti-Muslim statements. In announcing that he was withdrawing his nomination to give the president the ability to move forward, Green wrote that, Tragically, my life of public service and my Christian beliefs have been mischaracterized and attacked by a few on the other side of the aisle for political gain. That claim failed to take into account that the chairman of the Senate Armed Services Committee, Republican John McCain, had expressed serious reservations about Green's nomination. Trump's first choice for Army Secretary, Wall Street billionaire Vincent Viola, backed out in February because of the complications of getting through the Defense Department's conflict of interest rules. Navy Secretary nominee Philip M. Bilden cited similar reasons for withdrawing his candidacy. Of the 58 posts at the Pentagon that require Senate confirmation, only one, Defense Secretary Jim Maddog Maddox, has been filled so far. The Trump administration hasn't even announced nominations for most of the others. That's News Wrap for the week ending May 6, 2017. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles.
2: Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community.
3: News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you.
2: Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Wenzel Jones.
3: And I'm Frances O'Brien. Remember, you can hear all 30
1: commercial-free minutes of This Way Out on the podcast at thiswayout.org, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And a little bit of news you might have caught. In France, Emmanuel Macron got the not, has been elected the president of France, defeating Marine Le Pen, who vowed to undo same sex marriage in France. So at least for now, same sex marriage is alive and well in France. So Vive la
2: France! So yay! I can't wait till he invites us all over. That's right. Anyway, uh, some of us were watching the Kentucky Derby last weekend, but for real fascination, the rest of us are watching <laughs> the Republicans as they as they put it, repeal and replace Obamacare. So to explain it to all of us, we brought in Aaron Fox, the Director of Government Relations at the Los Angeles LGBT Center, and he will explain how this is going to affect our community. So welcome, Aaron. Thanks for having me.
1: So how is this going to affect our community? <laughs> well, you know,
5: I, I don't like being the harbinger of doom, mm-hmm. um, but unfortunately, what we're looking at is a really, really poor policy and a bad bill that was passed by the House. And if you're familiar with how a bill becomes a law, it now has to go over to the Senate, who tend to be much more deliberative. Um, But what this bill essentially does is it will allow states to opt out of certain Obamacare protections. For instance, it will allow them to pick which essential health benefits they have in their state. So, for instance, a state could decide that they did not want to offer substance use disorder benefits or mental health services or maternity care, uh, and they will be able to opt out of that. It will also basically change Medicaid or what we call here in California Medi-Cal from an entitlement program, meaning anyone who qualifies for it is able to access it, into a capped program And the people who gained coverage under the Medicaid expansion in Obamacare will likely see their coverage either change or lost if this bill were to pass by 2020 uh, because that's what the Republicans want to do. All of that being so that they can give rich people a big, huge tax break.
2: Well, yeah, I've I've heard this referred to as wealth care. It's just a tax bill masquerading as a health bill.
5: Right. And at the ACA, the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare – Was written in a way that taxes were included in that to make sure that Obamacare didn't send us into a deficit and raise our deficit in the United States. The Republicans want to do away with all of those taxes on both companies and on the highest earners in order to make coverage much more unaffordable, especially for seniors. Under their proposal, right now, seniors are only allowed to be charged three times more than someone who's younger. But if you're 50 to 65, so right before you're pre-Medicare, they will now, under this plan, if it were to pass and be signed by the president, they would be able to charge five times more.
1: So what gets me is that you're also describing the people that are really affected by this are... The people we also think of as Trump's base, by and large. Absolutely. I mean, this isn't really specifically an LGBT question, but how do we think this is going to fly when this starts hitting them? Like, what do they know that we haven't factored into this equation?
5: Well, I look at it this way. Doing something proactively when it comes to law and legislation and policy, uh, oftentimes people don't know where it comes from. They don't understand the genesis behind it. But if you look at what Senator Joe Manchin said from West Virginia, he said that when he spoke with the president, he said, you know, I have 150,000 people in West Virginia who now have coverage under the Medicaid expansion. They might not know that that was Obama's signature legislation. What? They might not know the Democrats were the one to pass it, but they are going to know who took it away from them. And that's yeah. going to be him. And that's going to be Paul Ryan and the rest of the Democrats, the uh, rest of the Republicans in Congress.
1: So what are some of the particular things that our community really needs to pay attention to?
5: I think there are a number of things that are extremely concerning in this bill that will negatively impact our community. One, there is also a provision in the bill that would defund Planned Parenthood from the federal level for a year. Many women seek care at Planned Parenthood for mammograms and for other health care services. That would be a huge blow to our community. In addition, the Medicaid expansion, if California, for instance, was not able to receive that money from the federal government just in one year, that would cost us about $14 billion, which means that all of the people – so young LGBT people, LGBT people that had pre-existing conditions before Obamacare was put into place – they could see their services either changed or completely done away with because the federal government funding of the Medicaid expansion would no longer be here under the Republican bill.
2: And can we spend some more time on the pre-existing conditions? Sure. Because that was the biggest, I don't know if it was the biggest, but the most easy to understand boon from Obamacare was throwing that out the window. And now it appears that they won't count pre-existing conditions up until a certain time
5: or or if there's a lapse? You well, can... A, I think they're confused with their own bill, but uh, it, it is, and it's super confusing. There's con- always that. Yeah, they didn't It's read super it. confusing. You know, one of the things this bill offers is that states can have a way to get out of what they call the community rating, which sounds like it's something on Yelp. Um, <laughs> but what it actually means is how sick people are. And if they are sicker, that means that insurance companies can charge them more. So when they say we're not doing anything with pre-existing conditions, that is a total and complete lie. They want to allow insurance companies to charge more for people that have pre-existing conditions and just some of the list of pre-existing conditions, uh HIV, acne, sexual assault or rape, depression, uh and and the list goes yeah. on and on and on. So we're talking about Life. a vast array of people who, you know, get sick, and, and have would, issues.
2: What would happen to the people who now have access to Triveda to PrEP, to that? What's the official PrEP? Is prophylactic?
5: Pre-exposure, Pre-exposure prophylactic, Pre-exposure right. Uh-huh. <clears throat> so-, so right now in California, anyone can access PrEP through Medi-Cal. It's on every formulary, on every insurance company in California as well. And there are also programs Uh, that the pharmaceutical industry runs, and that the state will soon also be assisting in so that people can get PrEP because it's not cheap. No. Uh, It's different than buying, you know, a 10-sec condom. Um, It's a a commitment. And so if this bill were to pass, um, A, someone that is on PrEP could be considered as having a pre-existing condition.
1: Uh, Based on what?
5: Based on the fact that... The insurance company could view them as a risk that they might they get HIV. They are just simply because they, they are at under- risk because yep. they're
1: even thinking about Sure. Absolutely. Sex.
5: And that they have been taking a medication previously. Mm-hmm. But if we were to look at California's medi program being extremely cut back, um, pharmacy services, for one, are an optional benefit under the medi program. So is it possible for that to go? Yeah, it is possible. Is it likely in California? No. But while we want there to be increased PrEP uptake, and Obamacare has allowed us to do that, this bill would definitely take us in the other direction and would likely result in us not taking more steps forward to getting to zero new infections regarding HIV.
2: And, and I assume it's going to be pretty much the same with people who have hep C, because Harvoni is very, very expensive. And I've got a friend who actually was cured. Mm -hmm. on Medico. But that's probably not going to be possible anymore if this passes.
5: It's something that's an unknown. Uh, And and I think that there are there's more things we know that we don't know about this bill. Uh, Most of the Congress people in the House didn't even read the bill. Um, Unfortunately, every California Republican voted for it, which I think is incredibly shameful. And this bill is going to change. Um so in the way that it is currently constructed uh this will not be the bill that the Senate ends up being happy with if they end up actually taking a vote and getting their own bill
1: how are all. how are the winds blowing like what are the kinds of changes we might expect to see
5: You know I think there are a whole lot of senators who are senators in Medicaid expansion states so Nevada Arizona West Virginia Ohio and you know the constituents in those states are going to know if they no longer have their medicaid coverage they're going to know that their senator voted to take it away and so i think that you have some senators some republican senators who are much more concerned with policy rather than the politics of this which i think the house was much more concerned about uh, but that is a real that is a you know, that's a real possibility in a lot of these states.
2: And yet I, the more I hear people saying, oh, it's never going to pass the Senate. And Bernie Sanders says there is
5: no way that's going to pass the Senate. And I think since November, I will believe anything. can yes. Absolutely. Oh, I, yes. I do not think that we can let up one bit on making sure that these people understand that they are voting on people's health and well-being in their lives, uh, because. Trust me, after the election, I think anything is possible. And I wouldn't put anything past the leadership in Washington right now.
1: One of the other things that we know is a big question is the effect on seniors. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of seniors in our community, a disproportionate amount, who don't have the family support structures Absolutely. that their you know, straight and cisgender counterparts would. So could you talk about that a little bit?
5: Sure, you know, we know um especially from our experience serving seniors at the center that LGBT seniors often experience increased rates of depression, isolation, and need for services and you know what this bill would allow is for people who are 50 to 65 right up to Medicare age would allow insurance companies to charge more for people who are that age group and that's likely going to result in people just not accessing their care, because they can't afford it. And we're going to be right back in the same place that we were before. This bill doesn't just take us back to 2009 before the ACA was passed. This takes us back to before Lyndon Johnson was president. I mean, that's when Medicaid was created. So you're looking at changing one of sort of the cornerstones of Americans' medical safety net by taking Medicaid away, which a lot of seniors use for services as well.
1: Yeah. Medicaid is kind of an inevitable thing in life. They can't imagine life without it.
5: Absolutely. Um, You're going to get sick. I mean, we're all going to get sick sooner or later. Yeah. Um,
1: Another thought I had when we talk about HIV Mm -hmm. and and low-income people getting health care, I think of the Ryan White funds. Does this affect Ryan White funding at all?
5: Uh, It doesn't directly affect Ryan White funding. Uh, So, Ryan White exists within and is appropriated at this point every year through the federal budget process. And Ryan White's still fully functional. It's about funded at the same level it was before. But people uh, in varying districts and, and jurisdictions have been able to use Ryan White funds in different ways to help people with support services like housing, like nutrition support, because we haven't had to use our Ryan White funds for medical care like we were before. But with The prospect of this bill passing, it makes Ryan White just as important as it was before and even more important because we could see a significant amount of people have to transition back to Ryan White, which is discretionary funding, which means it can be cut at any time. And you have people who are residually uninsured who always need Ryan White because they don't qualify for the Affordable Care Act. Well,
2: now what can we do? Because I mean, here in California, I don't think our senators are going to vote for this, but
5: sure, it doesn't think, do anything. Good... Should
2: we talk to our senators? I, I don't know. It's like it I think do... you should. Yeah,
5: I think everyone should talk to their senators. You pay their salary. <laughs> That's true. They're supposed to talk to you. So I think that there's a little bit of a misconception in California that we shouldn't talk to our Congress people mm-hmm. because they're great and they they're supportive, but they're great and they're supportive for a reason because people. Call them and tell them that they need to stay that way. And I think it's really, really important to bolster and support our healthcare champions that we have here in California, which there are many. We're very, very lucky. But if you have a friend in Ohio or you go to a phone bank, for instance, we have a phone bank at the center where we actually call into Nevada, to Nevada voters and have them call in to their senator to talk about the ACA. There's a lot that Californians can do around this issue and I know it sometimes feel like we're in like this blue bubble that but feels we're not that, I but mean, we're not we're
1: and we're vulnerable no, we're not. to all of these things right. I mean it's it is interesting because I think well every politician has so much capital that they are willing or and able to spend and I you know I sort of think it's important to say yes I want you to expend your political capital on this this will make me vote for you again
5: Absolutely You
1: know whether or not they they agree so you know thank you for reminding us that because I think we can get a little passive in California
5: We can and, I mean, and
2: they are great, which <laughs> makes it a little easier. Yeah, so well, they true. are. We we can usually count on them. I, I have in my notes, because I'm such a brilliant note taker. I wrote yes, age band. What is it? And since the term hasn't come up, what is it?
5: Age band? Age band.
2: It was something about the age band would be moving.
5: Oh, so so in this proposal, it changes – the proportion that insurance companies can charge for a young person versus an older person. So right now, if you're 50 to 65, you can only be charged uh, okay. three times yeah. what a younger person could. This would ratchet that up to five times. Okay. So we did cover that thing. Chris. Yes. Okay. Moving on. So
1: <laughs> what do you think the odds are that in some form or another, the Senate is going to pass this and we are going to find Obamacare going away? I'm asking you to look into a crystal ball, of yes. course.
5: You know – if I had a farm to bet, I would say that the chances of this getting through the Senate, going to a conference committee with the House and the Senate, them agreeing on everything, getting this to the president's desk, is, is a stretch. Um, right. And I wouldn't necessarily bet on that happening. That being said, as you just said, we have been wrong many, many anything times. Anything is possible. And anything is possible and we can't let up. Well, thank you so much for coming
2: by and explaining things to us and providing a small measure of comfort. I have a feeling we're going to be talking to you a lot about
1: this in coming I, months. I appreciate
5: it. Anytime you'd like me back, I'm more than happy to come. Thank you so much. So Aaron
1: af- Fox, Director of Government and Relations at the Los Angeles LGBT Center.
5: And after the break, we'll
2: pile into our gay back machine for a look at the AIDS ride in 2001.
1: Then actress Patricia Velasquez will join us in studio.
2: <sighs> so don't go away. We'll be right back.
0: Victim, the movie. Coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. The groundbreaking 1961 British film, Victim, was possibly the first film in which the word homosexual was even uttered. The story centers on a married man who is blackmailed because of his homosexuality. On the film's trailer, a narrator says quite dramatically, quote, What sinister shadow from the past now falls between husband and wife. The husband was portrayed by matinee idol Dirk Bogard. The film was so important to him as an actor and a gay man that he was involved in crafting a rewrite of the husband's dialogue. The film is credited with helping liberalize attitudes regarding homosexuality in England, which led to decriminalization of male homosexuality in 1967. Unlike England, Victim was not given a seal of approval by the Motion Picture Association of America, so few theaters showed it here. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios of WRIR in Richmond, Virginia and read by volunteers like me, Tom Miller. Hello, I'm Tab Hutter and you are listening to IMRU Radio Magazine on KPFK FM. 90.7 Los Angeles. 98.7 Santa Barbara. 99.5 Ridgecrest, China Lake. San Diego, and streaming online at kpfk.org.
1: listening to IMRU Radio, I'm Abby Dees.
2: And I'm Wenzel Jones.
1: The AIDS Lifecycle is a seven-day, 545-mile bike ride from San Francisco to Los Angeles to raise money and awareness in the fight against HIV-AIDS.
2: And since it's less than a month away, we got the gay back machine out of storage for a visit to the 2001 edition of The Ride.
6: the stage now, you will see Ron and Shelly Goodman, the parents of Jeffrey Goodman, whose name and memory is honored by the great work of the Jeffrey Goodman Special Care Clinic at the LA Gay and Lesbian Center. Alongside Mr. and Mrs. Goodman are six positive peddlers HIV positive riders who just completed the AIDS ride. They are leading a bicycle that has no rider on it. An empty helmet at its side. The same bicycle that sent us off on our journey seven days ago. The bicycle is there for us to remember, it represents spirit, the spirit of all the friends we have lost. We invite you to reflect for a moment on the riderless cycle.
7: California AIDS ride was more than a story about bikes and fundraising. Though I never pedaled a single mile, I was totally unprepared for the tearful reunion at Century City. More and more, this was a story about love and our willingness to care. There were over 2,700 riders making the journey from San Francisco to L.A., Sadly, and gratefully so, the event is now in its seventh year. I had the personal privilege of meeting and reuniting with four of them at the closing ceremonies. Early on, I met with Carol Pope, a lesbian rock and roller who rode in remembrance of her gay brother Howard. Thereafter, you'll hear from the 11-year committed relationship of fitness trainers Doug Blaisdell and Chael Yusechi. Countless voices heard and unaired made this year's ride into the most successful ride to date. Over 11.2 million dollars was raised for aid services. Unquestionably, you will also hear one other familiar and quite distinctive speaker. Our inner calling, the voice of human compassion. For their valor. We proudly salute all who contributed to this worthy cause in the battle against AIDS and saving lives. Truly, in my mind and heart, they are heroes.
2: My brother died of AIDS four years ago, so I'm kind of doing it for
0: him. His name was Howard. He was an AIDS activist, so we were very, very close, and I I feel like I lost my soulmate. My brother
4: was allergic
0: to all his meds um, because, you know, they don't mention that. That
4: happens too.
0: You know, last year was our very first ride and we were trying to figure out why we were doing it. And then all of a sudden, about three to four months before the ride, we lost two people in our life instantly. And we hadn't lost anyone in years, and then in a matter of a month to two months, we lost one of our best friends, who was a guy, and then we lost a good friend who was a girl. And uh, she was straight. So it's not necessarily just a gay disease, it's a everybody's disease. Hello, riders. My name is Lonnie Payne, and I'm the board chair of the San Francisco AIDS Foundation. Some of you may also know me as Writer 2794 I've been living with HIV for more than 15 years, and during that time, I've experienced the loss of my first partner of 17 years, my twin brother, my identical twin brother and his partner. And so I know firsthand the tremendous need that exists for the many services that are made possible by the money you've raised.
7: It's Gary Shaw. I can see Gwen Baldwin. How
4: are you? I'm fine. How are you feeling? I'm
3: okay.
7: Was it worth the ride?
3: It it was absolutely worth the ride. Every mile, every painful hill, every grueling country road. It was worth it. Because you come back to Los Angeles a stronger person. You come back stronger emotionally. You come back stronger physically. And you come back with a family that you didn't know when you started out. That's what the A's ride
7: is all about. It's absolutely amazing. God bless you.
3: Thank you. Give me a big hug.
7: <laughs> Guys, oh <my> God. <laughs> what
4: did you get out of the ride? I think one of the things that we got out of this ride was to see the accomplishment from all these people that we train and we spend all this time with. And just to see their satisfaction in their eyes, I think that was all of it.
0: Doug? It was wonderful for our relationship also. So. It's just a great thing, just to see everyone cry. and It's just a wonderful experience. Everyone should do it.
2: And this year it takes place June 4th through June 10th, 2017. So there's still time to pledge your support. Find more info at AIDSLifeCycle.org.
1: And I think maybe after all these years, I might sign up in a year or two.
2: It sounds like a very good and noble thing. Sure. (laughs) I I don't have thighs.
1: Oh, well, I do. (laughs) Um, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But... Moving on to much better things, our next guest, Patricia Velasquez, is an actor, a supermodel, an activist, a writer, a businesswoman, and the star of the new film, Guys Reading Poems. And we have had the director here. We had Daniel Barilla, who was an actor uh, in the film here a couple of weeks ago. And now we have you back in the studio. Patricia, welcome.
8: Welcome. Thank you so much. I mean, I love love coming here. This is... um Starting to feel a little bit like coming home. I know (laughs) you can stay. I can't come.
2: But my favorite thing when it comes to this movie is asking the people who come in, "How would you explain this movie in an elevator speech?" Because now your part. (laughs) Let me tell you what I saw. You are the mother. I am the mother. But this is nothing about quality child rearing. This is. There's a child. There's a box. There's a theater set. It's in black and white. There's elaborate costumes. Mm -hmm. Go. (laughs) <laughs> yes. Well,
8: <laughs> let me give you the other version. <laughs> Let's just say it's not a commercial movie that has been a big surprise for all of us. But uh, it's it's just a a wonderful film uh, made by Hunter Lee Hughes, and I, I I would say he's probably the num the the most visionary person I've I've met. Um, especially after seeing the film, because if if you have to put in a box everything talking about boxes, everything that is non-commercial, this movie has it all. But somehow, when you watch the film, you know it's a story about resilience, about basically the the, the, the growth of creative spirit as a as a way of survival, and uh, and it, it it the whole movie is done through poetry. Um, youth. And it's all black and white. It's a film noir. It was shot. it was shot. Yeah, with, you know, Michael Pesach, is an incredible cinematographer, uh, and it was shot with the the new monochrome red camera. So um, it, it's just all the all these little pieces. Once you see the film at the beginning, you're a little bit like, what? But somehow these puzzles they come together, and by the end of the film, you really you really have seen a film about love, forgiveness, and and resiliency.
2: Well, now, as an actor, what is it like for you who have been in... Big giant special effects films like The Mummy, mm-hmm. and then this is so small. I don't even know if you would call it a chamber film. It's so tiny. It's, very it's, noir. Small. it's, it's
1: there was mm-hmm. the, so neo poetry noir. Is that what Hunter said? Well, you know, I mean, we you just. I, th- I I this is these
8: are love projects for us, and and um, you know, like my wonderful teacher Ivana Chubbuck, always says, actors have to take risk, and when somebody like Hunter who has a very unique. Idea comes to you to participate in a film like this is a dream for most actors because it is different, and that's what we want to do. I mean, what are what are artists? You know, we are expressions of society, whether that is through music, writing, I mean, however you we this uh, creative expression comes come out. um, When you can be a part of one, you just don't know. I mean, you kind of have to go in blindly and with trust because this turned out to be a wonderful film that it just doesn't seem to go you know, films you usually you come, you have a little run and then they and then it goes and then and then they go out you know, you go in the movies and then they go out on on, on TV and stuff like that. But here it's just this is a film that has had its own run, just like the film itself. Like you the the reviews have been extraordinary. We just had a, a, a long run and, and arena scene a lounge and now it's going to be released in, in other parts of the country and We are working on bringing it back because even the viewership, you will never think that a poetry film or a film noir will have so much of an audience. But, yeah, there is a need out there. And I'm very proud of Hunter for – for me, I I, I do have to say, especially, Abby, since, you know, we've talked a little bit before, um, this film has taught me a lot because – As a filmmaker, when you have an idea, sometimes we always tend to think, okay, how is this going to be more commercial? How am I going to make sure we get distribution? And um, to have this vision like Hunter did and put it out there and not really, and then create a family of a group of people that supported him in his vision, it's really a, a learning for all of us to whenever you believe in something profoundly, please go fight for it, believe in it, because if, if it is in you, it's for a reason. And the universe will make sure that it gets where you have to go. Even if it's just that one person that has to see it, it, whatever work, whatever it is that you want to do or you're dreaming about, do, go, don't, don't, don't stay in the standards because then you're imitating someone
2: else's life. Mm. And did you audition for this or did they pitch you? No, no, no,
8: no. Hunter wrote, wrote me a beautiful letter.
2: Oh, nice! And
1: um, see the power of a good letter.
2: I know. Um,
1: <laughs> oh
8: well, and a good writing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, because you got such an impressive resume, I, I would have been kind of intimidated.
8: He, he's yeah. brought me a beautiful letter. I was, I, and he and he got me in a really crazy time because I was I was in Germany shooting, and it was a really really um, cold uh, weather, and I had picked to go to um, to the concentration camp. Uh, DACA uh, on that one day because I wanted to experience what people experienced in the cold and the isolation. And so just when I got home, uh, I got to the hotel, then I got this letter and it, it touched me deeply. Because I, I, you know, at the end, we all do what we do because we want to heal. Uh, we don't want to get stuck in our past, but we do want to heal our relationships with whatever happened when we were younger. And and for me, it's a clear story of whatever he had with his mom, or um, and and we can all, and it's just a mirror to maybe what can happen in in our life. So in in my in my case, I felt that it was also a way of working my my own relationships with with my family.
1: When. I heard it. I heard a lot of poetry that I've read over the years because there's there's poetry, including poetry from Stephen Raines, who's mm-hmm. a friend of the show, mm-hmm. and um, and poetry. There's Shakespeare. There's yes. <laughs> you know Emily Dickinson. Was there a poem that really resonated for you? Yes, no what was question. That? Do you remember Hunter's poem? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's just
8: it's a uh, it, it is by far for me and and for most people. The poem that resonates the most, I think, it's just because he performed it himself. He's a wonderful actor. Actor, so it just ev- everything about his interpretation touched me deeply. Every time I see him performing this poem in the, in the movie, I, I burst into I, I cry. It, mm. But but he's hopeful, hopeful cry.
3: Yeah, a
2: hopeful cry.
1: <laughs> 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 and you are not just in this film. You've got all sorts of things going on. We have talked in the past about your foundation. Yes.
8: Which, by the way, you you did mention that there's a little hiccup technically. I there's don't know a what's thing. going on on the website yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, it was, it's working, Just go normally. to the
1: Spanish version, you'll be yeah. fine. Have Google <laughs> translate it uh, if you don't no, see it. No,
8: I'm sure it'll, it'll be up in a few hours again. I don't know why that's happening. But yeah, the foundation, uh, thank you so much for asking me. You know, we've, we've started the work for the foundation to help the Latin American indigenous people 16 years ago in New York and here in LA as well. And today we help more than 5,000 children. Um, and due to the political situation in Venezuela, it, it almost seems that like we have gone back 16 years. You know, there is a... Well, you know, we're
2: all feeling that way.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Our, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Agreed. So, um, and the name of the foundation is, I'll let you pronounce it's it.
8: It's Y-U-W-A-Y-U-U-T-A-Y-A dot org.
1: And uh, you are a yu.
8: I am Wayu. Yes, I'm indigenous. I'm indigenous. It's It's an indigenous community right on the border between Venezuela and Colombia. And it's the only matriarchal community of the whole of South America, so the women have the power. Yes, and this was your
2: <laughs> uh, charity when you were on The Apprentice, right? Exactly.
8: This this was the charity. How much mm-hmm. did you raise?
2: Because I, didn't
8: I watch nothing. It. I lost money. Oh no. Oh yes, oh, because dear. I lost money. It was really. It was one of the hard. I mean, it was one of the hardest things I've ever been through. Because I call my donors, you know, people like oh my my good like Russell Simmons, White Cliff. Like, so many people showed up for for my episode when I raised money and the uh, somebody from the men's team had a lot of money and just basically
1: mm.
8: I lost all the money and that's the money for that was the money for my annual budget because okay. I called my donors and they I said look instead of yeah. giving it to just give it to me now yeah. it's just going to be if you don't want to be in the show but otherwise just send it to me and then I ended up losing all the money because all the money goes to the foundation some of my donors actually got upset. Because they said if I wanted to donate to that foundation, would or, just you know, donate. I said, "Well, but," I'm, and it, it was really challenging. I had to beg to people that year for money because ev- all all my m- my money went to the other foundation.
2: Abby, don't let me ask any more questions.
8: Okay. You can <laughs> ask as many questions as you <laughs> he want. He wants all the dirt. I, I know what he <laughs> wants. But I want to
1: know. <laughs> I, I want to know. Um, you are very involved and very concerned about what's happening in Venezuela sure. right now, I, and, like and every Venezuelan. for the yeah mm-hmm. for the people that are not familiar, there's a humanitarian crisis. Extremely. There's an economic crisis happening mm-hmm. there. Could tell us a little bit about that.
8: Well, um, you know, we have a political situation uh, we just, people are out on the uh, this, just out, out in the street. It's time to have elections and, and the government just doesn't want to accept. We were supposed to have elections a year ago and it hasn't happened and in the meantime, people just are, have uh, they're out demonstrating pacifically but but unfortunately the the they have been reprimanded by the government so like over 40 kids have 40 people have died already in the past uh, month uh, from the demonstrations and and you know there's just a massive shortage of medicines and food and um just nothing works in the country and you just cannot believe that that and and this goes to you who You're know you here in the United States, and yes, it is true that you have a democratic system here that does not allow for those things to happen, but you know what? We thought we had the same, Mm -hmm. and unfortunately, it hasn't worked out, and people are starving, really, really starving. There is no—I mean, even with my foundation, we give them snacks and lunch, and then the kids started fainting. We didn't know why, and then we realized because that's all they eat, so now they're getting— you know something like an insurer when they get in the morning and then snack and lunch. So it's a it's a big uh, a call for all of us to really fight for our rights and don't let anything to take away your rights, whatever it takes. Because especially these generations now, you know, not, there's it's not a criticism, but you are kind of walking the path of. We are walking the path of what other people had to struggle in order for for us to to have this freedom. So when you see a country in shackles like mine, I don't want to stay in the sadness. I just want to be proactive. Like, you know, sadness is passive and anger is Moves mountains is proactive if you use it positively, and the, I, and I think this is what we need to do in terms of Venezuela. Is just really put the message out there, and whenever you see a little news from Venezuela, just spread the voice, uh, and 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 we can try and help. Other fellows of of different, I mean, to talk about LGBT issues in our country, forget it. That's not even, (laughs) (laughs) it's like a way to develop, you know, for what we're dealing with right now.
2: But if we go to your website, whyutaya.com, can one donate there and and learn more about the... Yes,
8: yes, for sure. You can can donate and just if you put Venezuela in, you know, any social media right now, you will see the images of, of this is the truth.
1: As an, you're very well-known in, in Venezuela, mm. and you are also out as a gay woman. Yeah. And does this negatively affect your ability to bring attention and be an activist, or do you find that it's actually helpful? You mean being gay? Yeah. Oh,
8: no, no. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't asked that question. All I can tell you, what I, the, 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 what I do get asked a lot is, is um if ever since I've come out if my work has changed or if I get no I'm I have much more work mm. and and there's a big difference now which is I I'm not alone anymore I'm a part of a community and I feel supported every time I do something this community my community is the one that supports me the most so I'm not a loner anymore and this goes out for you out there too you know if you're when you're listening to, just if you're struggling or if you're just 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 know that you're part of a community and you're not alone.
1: You, I read your book uh, yeah. over the last couple of weeks, and there was a, a wonderful moment where you were stopped on the street yes, in New York. Street. It was uh. like, and uh, could you just tell that story? You know what I'm talking yeah,
8: about. Yeah, no, I remember very well because sometimes we're just so innocent, we don't know how many, how how much is the extent of what you're doing, and and that's a good thing when you, it, it's a good thing when you focus on on what you're doing and, and you're and you're doing it not because you're expecting results, uh, which is, I think, it kind of goes against the system in the U.S., because here it's, it's about instant gratification. Uh, no. You want to see results right away, and we <laughs> want to forget what was done very quickly so we can move to the next. Um, but if you do focus and just what you're doing, um, yeah, like with me, I was I was walking on 14th Street, and I used to be a model for many years before, and I had no Supermodel idea. is what she's not saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, but I was like, I was like the only Latin girl, and and I had no idea what I was doing was affecting so many girls. And just as I'm walking on Eighth Avenue and Fourteenth Street, this girl just literally threw herself at me. I thought it was gonna be an attack, me, Venezuela, and he's like, of course, you know, a, a robbery or something. Oh God, I can't believe I just said that. But yes, <laughs> unfortunately, we are just prepared. Um, and and no, it. And then and then I, I I kind of pushed her back, and she just burst into tears. And and she was Latina, and she said to me, "I just, uh, you've changed my life." And I'm like, "What do you mean?" My broken English then, still a little broken, but it no. was a lot more broken then. And she said, um, she said, just I I never. Ever since you started coming out in the covers of the magazines, um, I, I now I feel like I have someone that looks like me. I never felt that I had anybody that represent me, and now I'm proud of. I'm proud to look the way I look, and that is all because of you. And that was a moment for me that something shifted. I realized that what I was doing, yeah, I need. I wanted to help my family, and that was it. Really, I just wanted. To make sure that they were okay financially, because we weren't, and and I realized that it was much bigger. And not only, not only at that point, it was going to be something that I needed to help, but it was a responsibility.
1: And it, and mm-hmm. right after that, you came out to your family. Yes
8: yeah yeah i i, I noticed those connections <laughs> um yeah, it's yeah, the pieces and the puzzles when you understand your mission, I think everything kind of makes sense
1: um you, you we've just got a little bit of time, but you sent a letter this week to the White House, and yes. I wonder if you could talk about that
8: well i mean uh yeah i just i sent obviously because of the political situation in venezuela i i I wrote a letter to Ivanka, and you know she has been a supporter of my foundation a few times before and so, does it, Trump? So, 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 Hillary Clinton as well. Um, but I, I just think now it's time for, for, for them to say something about what's going on in my country. I mean, obviously, we want them to say many things about many things, like especially LGBT. But me, because there is something that is urgent and people are dying on the streets of my country, I just hope she responds and, and basically makes a
1: statement. I do, too. Mm-hmm. Patricia Velasquez, every time you come here, there's so much more we so can be talking to. you. So you have an open invitation. Thank you. Um But for people who want to find out about you or the film, uh, the website's still PatriciaVelasquez.com? Yeah,
8: Patricia Velasquez. But about the film, guys reading poems, uh, just stay tuned because we are going to bring it back. It's probably okay. going to go to your city as well.
1: All okay. right. Uh, okay.
8: And just guys reading poems. Check it's it out. It's amazing film. Thank you so much. Thank you.
1: Well, that is it for tonight. Our thanks to IMRU's coordinating producer, Steve Pride, our director, Michelle Marie Gilkison, board op Gary Baca, and Rainbow Minute producers, Judd Proctor and Brian Burns. Find
2: us online at imruradio.org and follow us on Facebook at IMRU Radio with a link to the latest show is posted every Tuesday afternoon. And while you're there, give us a like.
1: Well, I... I- bet you just couldn't wait for it. The KPFK pledge drive starts tomorrow and IMRU will be taking a break until June 5th. However, please support the station in our absence. They keep our wheels going.
2: And don't forget we'll be doing LGBT Day at KPFK on June 10th from 10 a.m. until 6 p.m.
1: And we close with Chase Holfelder's dark and disturbing version of Over the Rainbow
2: Because We Live in a Dark and Disturbing Time. (sighs) Good night. Good night.